So today I'm inspired by my favorite football team, Watford, in my Watford t-shirt. And we want to say that... We love Watford! Welcome to From the Wickham, our February 2015 podcast. My name's John, uh, with me is Mike. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> and Jason. Hello. Uh, we are three live from Watford fans, season ticket holders in the Wickham End, and uh, From the Wickham End is our take on life as a Watford fan. Um, this month we're going we're, we're gonna to sort things out, aren't we, Mike? Yeah, I think there's a lot to discuss, isn't there? We are desperate for success, and it feels like we're not quite there at the moment. We're not Watford, it feels to me like we're treading water a little bit. There's a lot of questions swirling around on the message boards, there's a lot of questions swirling around on social media. People aren't quite sure what needs to happen to get Watford promoted. Round this table tonight, we're going to identify those questions, answer those questions, and make sure we get Watford promoted. Because it isn't just us here uh, with us this evening, we need to get some uh, big brains to help us out. Uh, we've been doing this for, for five years now, we still haven't found the answers. So we've enlisted the help of uh, Frank Smith from the Watford Observer. Good evening, Frank. Good evening. And uh, Dave Messenger from. Uh, uh, Watford Internet FC. Uh, and we're going to be going through the big, big uh, topics. Um, Dave, you've been a Watford fan for a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first big question. How are you feeling at the moment as a Watford fan? I'm still feeling pretty good, to I'm still feeling pretty good. I think it's, it's difficult to judge in context when we've had so many ups and downs in the last couple of seasons. We had a ridiculously high, fantastic experience with Zola and a really ridiculously low situation last season where we all thought we were going to run away with a league and everybody knows what happened and this season's falling in between the two stalls and that's why I think there's so much of that sort of confusion and questions in the air because we know what we think we should be doing and we're not quite doing it but by the same token we're not not doing it either because we're sixth in the league and we're in a playoff position and at most points in the last 15-20 years we'd have bitten people arms yeah, yeah. in the playoff positions going into February so it's, it's weird I, I, it's a good time to be it's still a good time to be what when you put it in context of everything that's going on it's a good time to be what keep that really positive frame of mind yeah, well, Mike I'm sure will yeah. bring us down <laughs> <laughs> uh, Frank you've been coming what for how long now? Uh, seven years and uh, how's, how's this season looking to you? pretty much echo what Dave's saying really I think expectations the, the difference isn't it I think with what at the moment and particularly last year there's that expectation that they have the squad to do it and there's the talent in the squad to do it um, but I think it's I think there's a lot of people who maybe forget or overlook just how competitive the championship can be um, and if, you know Watford have a really talented side but if you look at a Derby side if you were to compare them like for like they've got a very very good side as well and obviously Burnley have shown the sort of team spirit and team unity the organisation, hard work that you know, t- size like that can do well also. So, uh, pretty much with Dave, I'm not downbeat. I think Watford are going in the right direction. I back them for top two at the start of the season. I'm still holding on to Slim Hope despite Lee Prober's best efforts. So, uh, yeah, pretty pretty upbeat. 
Mike, you've got some serious work to make sure this is a balanced podcast. Nothing is not balanced on We are in the railway arms in Oxy, just across the road from Bush train station, and this is a serious summit. So much so that we're all wearing ties. At the end of the table, we've got two little flags with Watford uh, badges on them. Uh, by the end of this podcast, we will have signed an agreement, the railway arms agreement, about what Watford have to do next. A podcast made by Watford fans for Watford fans from the rookery end. Sick. Dave's happy with six. I'm happy with six. Mike, you happy with six? It's all right. Jason, happy with six? Yeah, I, I can't what I've said. It's all right. Um, Dave talked about the season as being sort of up and down and sort of between where the first two seasons on the part days were. You could say that about the last month. Um, if you look at the games, Huddersfield, disappointing. Then Charlton, probably the most consistent 90 minutes of every season. Blackpool up and down and up and up and up and up and up. Uh, and then the and frustration of, uh, of the first minute of Bournemouth. Well, we are plus 23 in the goal difference. That's going to be crucial, I reckon. Um, we're the second highest goal scorers on 47 points. So we're five points off Malky Mackay's legendary 52 points that used to go on and on about. Five more points, boys, we're safe. That's a very, very good thing. And we look back at the last four games since we, we were last the podcast at Chelsea. Watford have won two and they've lost two. Dave, their results, sometimes they don't tell a full picture. Do they tell a picture of the, the performances we've had? I think so. I, I mean, they're a microcosm of the season as well. Like Jason just said, eh? It's, classic. it's a classic mid-table team. Sort of set of results, really. Only a little bit higher than that. But it is, when you go to a Watford game at the moment, the last month's been very true. You don't know what Watford you're going to get. And you walk into a ground and you get the Watford that spun the place out of Huddersfield, or you get the Watford that were great against Charlton, or you get the Watford that did both things against Huddersfield. <laughs> So, and then you get referees thinking the place out in the fourth game, so it makes it all a little bit null and void. But it has been quite a little, nice little microcosm of the season because when we're good, we're very, very, very good. And we're almost unplayable. We've got players that are just untouchable in this division when they're on their game and when they're on the money, absolutely untouchable. People can't live with them. But those same players, for me, don't quite have the right things in their heads and the right, the right stuff in their brains. And when things go against, when they go a goal down or something like that, they, they, they reacted pretty well to sending off on Friday. Generally speaking, when they go a goal down, you can see the shrugging of the shoulders and you can see the sloping and you can see the looking around at each other. But did, did you see that in the Blackpool game? That, that, that's the, the most impressive thing I think I saw this month was that second half performance yeah. in Blackpool, and that's I'd never seen that before. Perhaps we were fortunate the second goal came right before half time. So Slav had a chance to act upon that, and they didn't have a chance to sort of slope around on the pitch and look at each other for the next five minutes. They were in the dressing room pretty quickly, yeah. and then the key was getting one in the goal, one in the bag early in the second half. And they just kept coming and coming. They were pretty confident. Was there, was there a most impressive performance for you, Michael? I was actually going to pick up on what Dave said. I actually thought for half an hour at Bournemouth, Bournemouth were very, very good and reacted admirably to well, a devastating decision and put Bournemouth under a lot of pressure. Made the whole thing even more frustrating because Bournemouth. 
Bournemouth were on edge, they clearly weren't confident, and, and Watford caused some problems even with, even, with, even with 10 men. So, for half an hour, I was pleased um, with, the Bournemouth, with the Bournemouth game. Missed Blackpool, which was great, obviously, because uh, it won't be long before Watford scores seven goals in half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> nice to miss that. And, but yeah, I think the Charlton, the Charlton game, as Dave alluded to, was, uh, was, was a complete display. That was, that was magnificent. It could really have been, been anything. But everyone said that this, uh, the month this month has been in the season in, the, in a nutshell, a microcosm of it, and it, and it has. Um, but I'm, it's Tuesday recording this, I'm still cross about the, about the Bournemouth game, but I'm cross that I'm cross because it shouldn't matter. We shouldn't, this Watford side shouldn't be in a situation where that game matters so much. Do you know what I mean? Because these things do happen in the football season. We've had them come on our side and we've had them come against us. So that was a really big decision, a really crap decision, and it, and it resulted in a, in a, in a loss. But it shouldn't matter. You know, those three points could be crucial. It's the difference between one point and seven points. And the fact that it, it matters so much sums up really why we're struggling. We're kind of treading water, and any setbacks like that are bigger than they perhaps should be if we were born in North Well, it's good we're having a summit tonight, Michael, because we can take the, the crossness from still being cross that you have. I'm furious. <laughs> well, Frank, you've seen, you, you speak to the manager, you see the more than we do as fans. Any sort of post match reaction that sort of uh, impressed you the last month or stood out? I think the good thing with him in the last few weeks, I've, I feel the fans have had a bit more, they get more, they've had a bit more of a flavour of his personality. So I think one of the things that was labelled at him is, you know, boring, you don't understand him in TV interviews, all of which you can kind of see while people have had that opinion. But for us in the written media, when we sit down with him and have sort of 25 minutes, half hour, he's quite an engaging bloke, he's very, very honest. Um, and he's quite likeable but for the first sort of two or three months you didn't really get that whereas I think the last month or so you start to get a bit more of a flavour of what he's like his sort of dry sense of humour so in terms of the post-match press conferences Friday was quite a quite a good example because he was absolutely furious and he normally doesn't pull any punches and he made me he made me chuckle a bit because he started his press conference by saying that um, I'm not going to give you my true opinion of the referee's decision but it was wrong uh, <laughs> wrong stupid and a joke and I just thought right so you that's not your true feelings so I'd, yeah. I, you know, I'd love to know what his true feelings were and I, I've had somebody else who mentioned to me what he wanted to say but uh, it's probably a good job that he didn't say it so I think it, it, it's, it's good that it's fans are getting a bit more of a flavour that he's, he's quite a funny bloke and although he comes from horrifically in TV interviews um, he's, his English isn't as bad as he comes across <laughs> okay. I know we're going to cover the manager in, in full in full depth but I think just to wrap up that month's football I think the one positive I'll take away from that is the reaction of the players at the end of that Bournemouth game to a man came over to the Watford supporters who had been had been great all night you know, it's Friday night in Bournemouth it's always going to be noisy and rowdy but the Watford fans did, did incredibly well uh, and, and tried to support the team on the entirety of the game the, all the staff and the players came over at the end and made a point of, of sort of saluting the Watford fans and that, that's quite rare that, that's how of unity between the supporters and the and the team there hasn't quite been that bond we're Watford supporters we always will support Watford to, to our dying breath but it's quite rare to get that, that uh, a real example of it of that bond and that was one um, and hopefully that, that will give the fans face and remind the players of how invested we are in it as well and give them a little bit of a boost despite the result 
to kick on and, and deliver the consistency that we're all after. Just to follow up from what you guys were saying earlier, I think the the reaction at half time um, during the Blackpool game and also the reaction to the sending off it might be nonsense, but personally, I just had the feeling that that might not have happened a month ago or two months ago. And I, it's the reaction at half time, the fact that Slavic has changed the system, the players have obviously come out of a better sort of attitude and mentality and really gone for it. And similarly, after the red card, it'd be easy to have just been like, like the world's against us, this isn't going to be our night. But for half an hour or 25 minutes or so, I thought they were actually the better team. And you couldn't tell that they were a man down. And it was those reactions which almost give me more positive, you know, a more positive outlook looking forward to the rest of the season. You're positive, Frank. Dave's positive, I'm positive. Jason's positive? I'm positive. Let's see if we can mix Mike on our side. There's some bad things going on and Mike, your, your mindset is rightly. But let's start this summit and solve exactly what Watford have to do to be what we want them to be. Do not scratch your ears. You're listening to From the Rookery End. Let's start this summit then, gentlemen. We're three years into the Potter era. Uh, season one was an almost. Season two was not that good. Season three, we are here now, and it's still not quite there. It could be argued that we are flattering to see, with some huge wins mixed in with some terrible poor performances. Fans are feeling a bit keener because we are a better squad, and we are winning games 7-2. Seven goals. The high expectations and the build-up to some games, though, is too much, as Mike already says. What do we need to do to get where we need to be? That is the Premier League, apparently. Let's start with the first one. Is the manager right? It's worth pointing out, this is something we've all got diplomatic immunity. Yeah. So you can say whatever you want. So, uh, feel free to speak freely. Dave, have we got the right man? I'd like to think we have. Um, it's very difficult for uh, any manager, any manager, any coach, whatever the role is, it's very, very difficult for someone to come into a situation that he inherited, where he had this turnover of management from the start of the season. He had one coach who was a very larger-than-life character, very forceful, very aggressive with the players during pre-season at the start of the season. And I think at the start of the season there was a little bit of a reaction to that. Some of the players, almost in spite of Nino, were going out there and producing the goods. Then we have this period of turmoil, then a new man, new man comes in. And for the first couple of games, it all looks great. And then you start to see the rot set in, and during December, we lose, what was it, four games in a row, or whatever it was that we lost, having on top of the league in the day that uh, we beat Millwall. So, have we got the right manager? I, I'd like to think we have, but you can't judge him based on the fact he's only been three, he's only been here three months. He's come in, he's having to adapt to the championship, because it's a new division for him, and I think he's doing that pretty well. He's having to adapt to the culture of the club and the way the club is, which people inside the club and the people that follow the club are still also adapting to themselves, which makes it difficult to build that natural bond with a manager that we've sometimes had with the likes of Dyche and Mackay, because we knew they understood what we were all about. So it's very, very difficult to get past that stuff to actually look at him and judge, is he the right man? I'm not going to sit here and say, absolutely, yeah, 100% he's the right man, but I'd like to think that he is. He's showing the right signs, we're doing the right things. 
and yeah, he's getting there. Yeah. But fact, talk about tactically, you could say what he did in that Blackpool game by making a substitution to take over a defender to, to put on a midfielder to was fairly brave. I think the one thing with I think Jukanovic is different to Stanino tactically, but he is tactically minded. He's not he's not right, this is my system. Like with Zola, it was we play three five two and that's it. This is how we play and we're not really gonna change. You know, we're we're the best technical team, so this is how we play, go on. And when you were up against the likes of Bristol City they couldn't do anything about it. Um, with Jukanovic he's already shown on several occasions that he thinks about it. You know, he's watching, he's thinking and he's willing to change things and he's willing to change things early. So I think we've already seen several formations and we've seen the usual 3-5-2 we've seen 4-3-3 we've seen loads of different things where he's trying to get the right in games like Blackpool in the first half he's got it wrong but the main thing for me is that he's recognised that he's got it wrong he hasn't just gone with a system in like right well this is what we've worked on all week and I'm sticking with it he's, he's played a system that hasn't worked with Vidra behind the striker at uh, the strikers sorry and he's changed it and it's ended up working now like Dave said I think personally I think for me he's got a lot of the attributes that you'd want for a manager for me, he's, he's got an air of authority about him he's willing to change things early um, he's tactically minded um, you know, he's very honest that's amazing for me and I just think I, I personally think he, he could be the guy but again like Dave said it's still a bit early mm. you know, he's, he's only had one transfer window uh, I know he's not the one that ultimately controls it but he's had one transfer window and he wanted two centre midfielders and centre back and he's, he's only got one centre midfielder effectively so even though he hasn't got exactly what he wants so if it was a manager if it was a Sean Dykes or Matthew McKay you get the feeling that they would have had the players that they wanted in January uh, or somebody you know ideally who they would like um, whereas the problem I think some of the problems that Jukanovic faces and a lot of the sort of frustrations are not necessarily his making I think some of it is the, the model that they kind of have and, and the system you know what for not bringing in a, a dominant centre back which I think 90% of fans would say since Fitzhall's kind of got injured that's really what they've wanted the dominant kind of aerial commanding vocal kind of lead at the back everybody knows that Watford's probably needing one in for ages they still haven't got one but that's not your candidate's fault and I think a lot of the defensive issues you have a Fitzhall or an AD Marriott or I know AD's not a massive strapping bloke but he's a good communicator and a good organiser he's decent in the air someone like that I think will make a huge difference to the team defensively now it's not your candidate's fault that he hasn't necessarily got those, those tools so I think some of the issues that people have with him are not necessarily of his making I think that was going to say answering your, your original question there about was he brave to make that, that change probably not it's probably easy to be brave when you're 2 down at the bottom of the league um, but yeah Frank's right he got it exactly spot on you could see that Angela and the centre-backs were given all the time in the world. Tozier was put under pressure and he had no one to pass to because he didn't have enough players, three players up front. So to take off that extra centre-back, bring on an extra midfield, and give more passing options to Tozier, who's having to run up the sideline to try and get the ball and get away from the, from the uh, back of the players. Great tactical move, obviously it paid off. 
positive, positive moves, positive noises then from all three of you. Yeah, I mean, what well, I joked really want to quickly add as well, tactically as well, there's another game that stood out for me, which kind of tactically, which is Chelsea away. And you wouldn't immediately think that. But he set that team up really, really well against Chelsea. And he forced Mourinho into making a double substitution at half time. And, you know, Mourinho is tailed as the top man tactically, right? Everybody, you know, in world football probably would say Mourinho tactically one of the top men. Stukanovic got so spot on in the first half at Stanford Bridge that he had to make a double substitution at half time. That says it all. That's another feather in Stukanovic's cap when you're talking tactically. There's, there's one complaint, one question that persists there about the manager, and that's about his nationality. And I can tell by Frank's face what, he, what he's going to say about that, perhaps. Um, I don't think it's any super putting words in your mouth there, Frank, sorry. But there's a lot of people who think to get promoted from the, the Championship, you need a British manager. And what do we think about that? No, I don't. I, don't, I, I think if you look at his, his record before, his record, be it in his home country or remind me where else. Thailand? Uh, Thailand. Seems a bit bizarre. But he had a good squad of players. And you can almost sort of map that to what we've got. For this division, we've got a really good squad of players. And he has got history in winning divisions with good squads of players for them that are So why can't you translate that from one country to another? Why does it have to be to be a British manager to be well in the championship? I think, this, again, this is part of the issue with this is the model. So it's the thing is, it's in, if you ask me, in hindsight, would the Pozos, when they arrived, said, do you know what, I've, I've, this Sean Dykes knows what he's doing, Ross Wilson's not a bad lad as well, he seems to know what he's doing, why don't we stick with those two and maybe just give them a few of the players that Sean wants, your Vidras, your Extrans, your Abdees, your Tokyo, you know, those kind of guys. In hindsight, they probably could have left them in place and got to the Premier League in the three years that they've taken now. But someone like a Sean Dyche or a Malcolm Mackay or a Mick McCarthy, someone like that, are they really going to come into that model? Maybe maybe, maybe more so now, but when you had Jim Kanani, who was, was not afraid to sort of have a little, oh, you know, what are you doing that for? You know, what are you doing? You know, not being in full control of the signings. It's, it's a model that traditionally hasn't really worked. Before. I think British managers haven't really fancied it. And I think that's one of the things. The reason why the Potsos have gone for the Akanovich is because they know that he understands the kind of continental model. He doesn't know the division, but he understands the way that the system works and he has no issues with it. Whereas someone like maybe even a Billy McKinley, he might have been more of a managerial kind of type. Do you know what I mean? He might, but they probably looked at it and thought, two months down the line, we could have some problems here. Do you know what I mean? I think that's why they've gone. Yeah. In an ideal world for me, they would have kept Ross Wilson, they would have kept Sean Dyche, given him the English speaking players and maybe a Bidra, maybe a Batocha, somebody like that, and I think Sean would have got him up. But that's not the model, that's not the way that they operated. And I think they've slowly been learning, slowly been adapting, and I think hopefully now the model is, is a way that they could bring in a British coach, and it'd probably be alright. So I think everybody now knows the way they work and the kind of constraints, and they're probably a bit more lenient. But, you know, Zola, even Zola himself knew the model, knew the people, but he was not very happy when he got given what was it, eight players on transfer deadline day in that first summer. When we had asked him two days before, he expected any more signings, or maybe one or two, and they brought in eight. Now, he wasn't very happy about that. Now, how many British managers would you, do you think would have stuck around? They would have gone, I'm out the door. Do you know what I mean? I think some of the issues with Lukanovic is more, it's not necessarily him, it's the modern way the way that things I think, I think you're right to bring up Dice. I think that's another residual issue. People are still looking at Sean Dice, they're still looking at the Premier League. They're looking at, they're looking at Sean Dice because he 
got Burnley promoted. If Burnley were mid-table in the Championship, no one would be no. saying and, why is and, and I think Frank hit the absolute nail on the head, and I think those who have read the new uh, Tales from the Rippies book, there's a little line in there where Sean Dyche says, I don't think that job was for me, or the worst that effect. He ruled himself out, and which, which basically confirms what Frank said. I think Billy McKinley was, they probably both realised that, that it wasn't going to work for whatever reason. Um, uh, so, gentlemen, does it matter that he's not British? No, no. Frank, you said he, he's a good person to be around, his communication is good, Dave is doing alright with his with his football and from an entertainment point of view, Jay's tactically is getting it right. So the motion is Yukanovic is the right man for Watford. Can we pass that motion? Pass. We can pass that motion. Pass. Yeah. From the rookery end. Uh, item two on the summit agenda. Have we built a squad to compete in the championship? Jason, we're three years in, as we said. There's sort of a nucleus to a Watford squad over those three years. How far, how far off are we? We, we still have a couple of players around, it, and I think we, we've sort of touched on this already. Um, Frank talked about the fact that we've missed out probably on a centre back and a centre midfielder. Um, but yeah, so I think yes, we still need that. We've got we've got four good centre midfielders. I think in there. Um, probably do with one more. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it? The, what, the what, what, why do we five? What, what fifth one? Do we need that. We know there's going to be injuries. There's going to be suspensions. Uh, we know I'm absolutely for starters. There's going to be injuries two or three times a season. It seems. Um, Minari's old, not as me, but he's old, so yeah, he needs to rest his legs from time to time. We need game changers in there, I think, as well. Uh, I don't think the squad players that we've got, maybe you look at the likes of Murray to come in. I'm still not sure that the way we play is set up for him. I don't think he can, he can do that, but he fits in there. Uh, so I think, yes, uh, another central midfielder. Now, it's interesting. Uh, Frank talked about not getting players in in time, and that might be disappointing to Jukanovic, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. We talked about sort of getting players in, a whole load of players in, right on deadline day <coughs> before in the first couple of seasons. We've used the word scattergun on this podcast before and that approach. We want these players in, but we want the right players in. We talked about this in the last podcast, like getting the right players in. You asked me about, is it a bad thing to get someone in on loan <coughs> rather than getting in a, a permanent deal? If we can't get the right player in on a permanent deal, then let's have a look when the loan window opens. Let's get someone who can make a difference to our squad. Uh, and the difference to that, difference to that first 18, that's what the club's talking about. It needs to be someone who can make an impression and improve on that 18-man matchday squad. Let's get them in it. <coughs> in the loan window if and when they're available. What have we become though? That we're thinking, right, we need to get extra players in, better players in, new players in because we're not, we're not top of the league. Jace mentioned suspensions and injuries. Why have we got players that seem to pick up all these injuries? Why have we got players who can't avoid getting booked or, or, or sent off? You know, Lee Probert, abomination <laughs> aside, obviously. Have we really had a proper tilt with this squad, with, with, the, with the first 11 that Ikanovic or whoever the manager's been or whoever the fans are talking the pub before the game your dream Watford 11 how many times have we had that and how many times have we had it in a row for 10 games we've done the, the absolute top pick have we had that I don't, I don't think we have and 
what you know, injuries injuries have been bad since since Dola came in. I think since in the, in the Pozzo regime, I don't know. It could be bad luck. It could be training methods. It could be whatever. Um, but, but that allied with with suspensions and stuff, I just don't think that we've had a settled team. And talking about getting more players in, it's like well, sticking plaster is the wrong word, and, and finger in the dam is, a, is the wrong sort of analogy as well. But would you would you run a one in one out then? Well, even that, I just want to see the squad that we've got. You look, run through the squad from defence to midfield to attack. It's to a man. It's got to be the most talented group of players, that I think. And all right, they've got to prove that they're they're man enough to get us over the line. But you know, why don't we focus on sort of hunkering down? Back to the wall. Let's get this unit together to play together, and let's not worry about just all oh, we, we, we lost against Ball, we lost against Huddersfield. Let's get a couple of new ones in. Fuck it, that. Let's just. We've got what we've got. You lot sort it out on the pitch. Canovich, you with the mid shape, and we'll get behind them as fans. I think. I think. And that's, that's what they're saying now. I think they're they're not getting players in for the sake of it. They're looking at. Yes, so they've identified two positions. Canovich is where he wants to play. Centre back, centre midfield. And they said they want to get players in. That will come into the into the first team match day squad. They're not just filling up and taking. I think Mike is right on the whole. I think Mike is right. Mike. I think Thank you are absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. On the, no, on the whole, no, on the whole, I think he's right. But the thing for me is, I think it's almost uh, there has to almost be horses for courses. So I think Watford have enough very good defenders who are good enough at this level. They have enough midfielders that are very very good at this level. So for me. And it's not easy because there aren't many of them around. But for me, I think, like I said before, uh, a big, strong, dominant, vocal presence in the heart of the defence would make a huge difference. There aren't many of them around. You know, you can see that in the Premier League. But also, in terms of midfield, they've got a, a lot of talented midfielders. But for me, I, I would like to see an energetic, ball-winning, kind of tough-tackling a midfielder that adds something a little bit different. Because I think, like you say, the squad is very talented. There's a lot of talent in there. But personally, I would like to see a really dominant vocal captain-like figure in the heart of defence and also a similar one in the centre midfield. It's not because the midfielders of what we have now aren't good enough, but as a trio in the heart of defence or as a trio in the centre midfield, I feel that would complement them better. doesn't mean that the squad, I, I think the squad they've got now could easily get top two if they really, like you say, pulled it together, were a group. I think they could, but if you're going to increase their chances, I think those two, the, the two that I mentioned, would make a big difference. It doesn't mean that, like Mike says, the squad they've got now is good enough, but I think it would increase their chances if they had those big players. Dave, would you change anything? Change anything? Yeah, I would. I, I, there's two things I'd change personally. I'd take exactly what Frank's saying there about the players that we've got. The players that we've got, ability wise, as good as anything that we've ever had at this level, especially. You know, you're talking about the 82 83 side, is the only one that's probably better in terms of the natural ability. What this side misses, and if anybody wants to make a really easy comparison, they can go back to the 99 2000 team. Sorry, no, the 98 99 team. 98 99 and the 2005 16. The two teams that got promoted. Lots of very good players, but the missing ingredient for what that both of those two teams had is on the pitch leadership. And it's players that are the glue that hold the rest of it together. And in 2006, it was Gavin Marne and Malcolm Mackay. And in 99, it was Robert Palmer and Steve. Uh, Robert Palmer. <laughs> <laughs> Robert Page and Steve Palmer. Robert Page and Steve Palmer. I knew who I meant. <laughs> but they're the, they're the players. They're the players that Watford lack. It's the one.
ones that, when you go a goal down, the ones that are pulling at the shirts of the others and leading the others on. And I'm not talking about, you know, leadership. We've got a captain at the moment. Troy Deeney's the captain. Troy Deeney's a very good player. He's very focused. He's very determined. He's very driven. He wants to score goals. He wants to be successful. He wants the team to come along with him. But he doesn't bring them with him in games. And too often, you see Troy Deeney gets a poor pass from a teammate and turns around and shouts at the teammate. And that happens too often. What Watford need, what, the, the one thing we need to bring in, and still try and find one if we can in a loan window, sent half for me would be the perfect position. Because I think Angela, Kafka, extremely, when they're capable of being a strong commanding sent half, all three of them are strong, they're, do- they're dominant in the air, they're not afraid to tackle, sometimes they're a little bit too rash in the tackle, but what all three of those players would benefit with is someone sitting in the middle of them yapping, just yapping to them. Going with or singing. That's what Mackay used to do with Jade's Merritt. Malcolm Mackay used to breeze through games because he used to just point at Jade's Merritt. Go and win that header, Jay. Go and win that tackle over there. Go and do this here. And direct traffic. So that's how you defend as a, as a unit. That's how you defend. You have one bloke in there that doesn't stop yapping. And if that person's captain as well, can we mean it in the, uh, the agreement that we need a yapper? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I, sometimes uh, the nuances of the game of professional football get missed by us <coughs> average fans who don't know a lot about the game but Baby's absolutely right and that is something that's been blindingly obvious I think, for a long time go back to Charlton last season at home where we lost 4-3 in the end I think didn't we um, three to, I can't remember we were in yellow and what I do remember I think Tommy Hogan scored no goal didn't he yeah. yeah and he didn't have that yeah, he didn't have that captain in the defence to put his arm around him and go don't worry about it Tommy forget it crack on because later on in the game we had, we had an opportunity we were there we were winning that game we had opportunities to go on and win it but you could see his confidence we shot the pieces and, and we ended up falling apart and losing in, the game in so, de- in de- sorry in defence of the Pozos I think that I think speaking to them sort of just having off the record I think they recognise that there are those areas are areas they need to improve but they signed the wrong players so last summer not this summer I'm sorry this summer before they signed Irony with the view that he could be that dogged yeah. kind of batter yeah. and you saw glimpses where you thought yeah he could be but he, he wasn't good enough he wasn't the right type this year they've signed Tamas with a view that he can be that dominant centre back and centre back and he's, he was a good communicator apparently he was great around the dressing room but he wasn't the right one so I think they do recognise that they need to sign them but they've signed the wrong players everyone keeps harping back to Fitz Hall and he would have been great but then the reason why Fitz was here was because he was injury prone if, if Fitz was an injury prone he wouldn't have been here he'd be in the Premier League he's that good so how and, and when, to be fair when you look at the Premier League now how many top, top centre-backs do you see in the Premier League? Personally, I think real dominant, really great centre-backs. There aren't as many of them around now at all levels of football as there were five, six years ago. Well, so I think it's just in the championship and what... We don't need a great one, we just need a very good... Functional one. No, but you know what I mean? I think even at the highest level, they're not the others. same level that they were. But we, we need one that can knit the others together, because they go yeah. back to it again. I think Angela, Extra, Craig Cuthbert, all three of them are basically very good defenders. They tackle well, they're strong, they read the game quite well, they're good in the air. All three of them also prone to making ridiculous mistakes. Are they good? And for as bad as progress to on Friday night was what is Angela doing diving into a tackle after 25 seconds of a game bad as the decision was don't get me wrong 
we're in the business of, of giving answers here, chaps. So, if the question, does the squad need a massive overhaul or a few tinkerings? I think the answer is it needs a few tinkerings. Those tinkerings need to be a new centre-back and a midfielder, central midfielder, um, and a new captain by the sound of things. So we're looking for... Yapping. Yeah, so we're looking for a defensive linchpin, a midfielder, and a new captain. Just to add a little caveat to that, I don't necessarily know whether we need a new captain per se, but another two leaders in our team. Yeah, I agree with that. When John John Eustace was the club captain, when he wasn't playing, he still had a couple of leaders in there. Like like what we said about Malky and Robert Pace, there was only ever one captain, but they were still leaders. So personally, I'm going to issue a choice of being captain, but I can see what you mean in terms of... I agree, I agree. Yeah, I'm the one. Yeah, he needs help. I'm the one who said it. I don't. I don't think it's not that Troy Deeney shouldn't be captain. It's just that we always find someone telling him you're taking the arm back. But he's not a. He's he's not a true captain in any way. But he's still a very very important player, and he's still got a lot of character. He needs help. He needs help. So perhaps the the motion is more authority and presence on the pitch. Yes. Mar eleven. Agreed. Agreed. In defensive positions. All over the pitch, Dave. <laughs> Here it is, a collection of historic and intriguing items that define Watford Football Club. Oh, it's Watford in a hundred objects! Ken Furphy of Watford is one of the best young managers in the game today. His team are the third division leaders, but of course in taking on Manchester United in the FA Cup, they had an unusual task. How can you plan to beat the genius of players like Law, Charlton and George Best? Now, uh, Best's playing inside right. And Tom, we've given you this responsibility. It's a little bit unusual for you to have to mark this fella very, very tight. But we all know about him. We've seen he's got a tendency to hang on to the ball too <coughs> long, and they've been trying to get him out this for a long time. He's mm-hmm. so good on the ball, he don't need me to tell you. Mm-hmm. And we've decided what we're going to do, Tom. Lay off him until you've got two men covering around the back of you. Kate, you'll be yeah. pushing up. And uh, Dixie, you'll be drifting back over here to get on his left foot to stop him coming that way. Shoot him to the right wing. Kate's got you covered. <coughs> Dixie, you're on his left foot. And then Tom... Then go and have a bite at him, okay? So he's not to go anywhere, Tom, so keep very, very tight on him. Former Watford manager Ken Furphy sadly died on the 17th of January, uh, age 83. He managed Watford between 1964 and 1971 and was player manager for the first four of those seasons. He was the first man to guide Watford to the Division 2 championship in uh, current money uh, when they won the Division 3 title in 1969. Plus, he took the club to its first ever FA Cup semi-final appearance in 1970. Uh, Mike, we renamed two stands after two very important men at our club. Would, uh, would Ken be third on that list? I think so, definitely. I think there's, uh, we've got a, a YouTube clip on the, on the, on the website about uh, is Ken Furphy giving his team to ahead of the cup game away at Man United and it was on TV and I think it was the first time that that had ever happened and I think that's a real glimpse a real eye-opener for certainly people like me who really my uh, in real terms my Watford supporting life starts with Graham Taylor and, and, and Elton John and just looking that little bit further back and seeing that we have innovators like like Ken Furphy at the club who are open to ideas like that uh, that's uh, all those years ago um, it's really quite exciting and I think it's yeah I think he was a, he's obviously for the reasons you mentioned there the, the cup, uh, cup semi-final and, and promotions he's obviously a really really important part of Watford's history um, and yeah if it wasn't for Graham Taylor and uh, 
and, and Elton John. I think he'd be, I think he'd be talked about a lot more. Dave, do you have any, have any memories of him or, or stories of him? You've been a, a, a lot, what fan longer than uh, than us? So yeah, not quite that long. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, all I have to go on really is what you know, stories that are handed down for the generations by my dad and my granddad. It's you know, my what for supporting time starts with Taylor as well, a little bit earlier than some of you guys on the table, but still starts with Taylor. But Ken Furphy was, you know, my dad was the massive fan of the 1959-60 side, holding up and scored loads and loads of goals. But the first manager that actually came in and sustained spell of success, and by just, you define success however you want it, but to a club that had trotted around in Division 3 South and 4th Division forever, winning the third division title and then getting to an FA Cup semi-final, that's sustained success. And he was the first manager that brought that to Watford, and yeah, he definitely deserves some form of something to be named after him, without a doubt. Whether it's another stand or not is, 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 is up for debate, but definitely you've got someone there that pretty Graham Taylor was the standout name in Watford's history, possibly with the exception of Cliff Holton. But what a fantastic person to have involved in the club, and what a tribute it would be if they did name something after him. The object we're going to put into our list of 100 objects that define what football club is we're going to put in his clipboard. If you look at the clip that is on from the rookery end, um, it's a clipboard, but attached to that clipboard must be one of the most detailed dossiers there could be. It's a fantastic team talk he's giving to the Watford players before they went to Old Trafford. And it worked, because they got a draw. Got a draw that night. It was, and uh, it, 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 it holds it with all the, the detail, as you heard in that clip, about how he talked about George Best. And it, 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 it just seemed like he was a, a manager ahead of the curve um, from what football was, uh, was like back then. So, Tim Furphy's dossier and clipboard are going into our list of 100 objects. If you do want to suggest an object for our list, uh, give us an email, podcast at fromtherookbrain.com. Uh, remember, they could be an object that uh, is historic to the club or something that's special to you and your time as a Watford fan. <laughs> A podcast by Watford fans for Watford fans. This is from the referee end. We've been very positive, which goes against the grain for me a little bit, but there you go, we've, we've managed it and we've been, we've talked about the Potsdam's getting a lot of things right so far this season, but I think it's worth noting, and uh, since they turned up at Watford, there have been controversies, is perhaps the wrong word, but a few sort of negative stories. When they first arrived, there was all the, the hoo-ha about the loan system. Obviously this year we've had, uh, with, well, the loan system which ultimately resulted in a rule being changed, so making big waves there. Uh, this year we've had a managerial merry-go-round that, that, that cast Watford in a, in a particularly negative light for a while there. At the end of last season, and start of this season, there was there was talk of dissent amongst the team, but behind the scenes, as this season progressed, there was a bit of dissent on the pitch with with Lloyd Dyer making his feelings known. Um, and then there have been other little quirky ones, like the situation with Eugene uh, Kezu's loan. Well, one minute it's announced that he, he's going on loan to the end of the season to Crew. The very next morning, he's back at Watford and then he's at Doncaster so lots of funny little things perhaps stories negative stories that you wouldn't have necessarily heard in, in Watford years uh, gone past so my question is is there too much white noise about around Watford for us to be seriously challenging at the top of the championship Dave you've watched Watford for, for a long time how does it feel in that respect and is there too much dirty laundry compared to the past it's, it's a really interesting question actually because from perfectly before I was asked to do this, I actually 
that's how I've actually thought about it. Because I've always looked at all those little incidents that you've just described, some worse than others, but I've always kind of looked at them and thought, well, are they really that big a deal? Are they really, do they really mean that much? I suppose when you add them all up together, they add, they, they become a little bit more significant. I don't think any one of those individual issues is really that big a, is that really that big a deal or anything to get worked up about. But I guess there is a little bit more noise around Watford. We're doing something that's different. We've got a, a way of it's a, it's, it's a way of us to be able to compete on the pitch because God knows we couldn't compete on the pitch before the process came along, not in the way we wanted. And you know, is it a small price to pay for those things? For that, for that? I don't know, but I do kind of get the sense that the club is very different. We're still getting used to it. We're still adapting to it as Watford fans. We're still trying to find our our feet with it all and try and understand it better so that we can defend it. You know, it's like you want to defend your club against anything. So yeah. Start slagging your club off. You know, you can you can and all that anyone listening to this can do that about the loans and about the managers and all the rest of it. You know, whose fault is it? The one of the managers had a heart problem. It's no one's fault. It's just what happens. So yeah, I, I don't think, personally don't think it's that big a deal and that's something to get that worked up about but I do see your point yeah I mean because I because we, we talked earlier about why isn't this squad doing better why isn't this talented supremely talented team of individuals doing it and could it be Frank perhaps that all these sort of and like Dave said individually we can, we can deal with it and there's a, probably a rational explanation for each one but add it all together and is there too much for everyone to worry about to, you know is there, is there too many excuses perhaps for this for this Watford side to, to, to not challenge I think it can depend on the personalities that you have. So for example, again, Harper back to Sean Dice is going to annoy some people, but one thing with Sean and what he did, which is particularly good, was for everything that's gone wrong at Watford this year it, and the year before and the year before that, it was not as bad as the year before when Bassini was here. Um, now, there was a hell of a lot more that was going wrong under Bassini than there is now, but what Sean did was he sheltered the players from it. It was a one kind of, you know, they were all, all the players, all the coaching staff were all together, and everything else didn't matter when it came to a Saturday when they went on the pitch. So all of, like you described as white noise, in principle, it should be white noise. Whether it's the best time players or not, I'm not sure. Um, but it should be. You, know, you should be able to have a head coach, a coaching staff, and a group of senior players um, that should be able to say, ignore all this, this is our group. This is. But then, again, if that isn't there, some of it could be because of the model. It could be because you've got enemy players. It could be because you've got senior players it's interesting you talk about protecting the players because there's, there's been an interview rehashed I think it was you guys picked up from an Italian interview that, that Angela did and it was uh, Papa Pozzo had said ultimately that, that Angela, Angela had said he wanted to go back to Italy now there wasn't really anything in that that said he wanted to go now he, he was basically saying ultimately I want to either play in the Premier League or at home in Italy which I think, which I think is absolutely fine but what struck me about that was A, Angela could probably have done without that being out in the public domain so is he not being protected and, and is this the first sign of a bit of strain on the Potsos as to where, they did, where, where their allegiances lie because I know 
I've had a little look on Udinese message boards recently and people are saying, you know, we need attention here. Granada looked like they'd signed Laoun and he was going to come to Watford on loan. A big coup for Granada looked like initially, but he's been pinged straight out to Watford. Superb for us. But are there sort of little fissures developing in how they, as, as, as these three projects sort of gather pace, Udinese and big Granada are, are struggling in La Liga, so that's a big project for them. And Watford, after three years, has still not made it into Premier League. I know it's three years, isn't it? So, are they feeling the pressure a little bit? I wonder, Jace? I don't know. Obviously, they've made moves to try and keep the set. So, uh, we've got Gino running the show for us. And we'd like to think that he will concentrate on Watford and do what's best for Watford and let the rest of the family worry about Udinese and worry about Granada. Is that possible, though? With, yeah, your, you know, with, your, with your old man breathing down there saying, Gino, Udinese, we're not going to make the Europa League. Granada has been rele- relegated. I need to do something here, mate. Um, and is it really possible? It's, 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 it's the plan for all three clubs yeah, at the same time. Man. You can't say it won't ever happen. It will happen, but I'm, I'm pretty sure the benefits still outweigh the possibility that one of those players might go back to Udinese because they need to fill a hole there. And I'm sure they won't go, right, out you come. They will be looking to make sure they fill the gap made by moving the player back to I agree with that and I think there's another strain to it as well is that ultimately the reasons that the Pozzo family first came to our attention we first came to Watford are still there they want to get a club into the Premier League and they want to get a club of a similar sort of size town or similar sort of size area to Udinese and they know the sort of club that they need and we are it they had, they had their choice they could have gone to Charlton they could have gone somewhere other, other places they came to Watford they identified Watford as the club that they wanted and the reasons that they came here is still valid. They want to get a club into the family because that's how they will, all of their clubs will be more successful because that's where the financial riches are. It's not for playing in Syria, it's, it's, it's playing in the family. And those, while those reasons are still there, then I don't think there might be little cracks and might be little fishes and you can't say that whatever happens to Granada won't affect what because it will. But I still think while those reasons are still intact and the process coming in the first place, I don't think we should look to worry about it too much. I think the thing, the thing with the Pozos is that, like Dave said there, is that the most amount of money is going to come from Watford. So in the last three years, what have Udinese and what have Granada benefited from the relationship with Watford? Absolutely nothing. They've lost a fair bit of money from signing players and effectively giving them away. They've lost players like Angelo, who when he signed, a lot of the Udinese fans were like, oh, wait a minute, you know, he could still be in our squad. So Watford benefited greatly while the other two have suffered. So when the two, when Granada you can understand why their fans are disgruntled. But the way, well, I'm guessing, but I assume the way the Pozzo's looking at it is, you know, well, yeah, you're going to struggle a little bit, but what we got this year, do the Watford fans realistically think that all of the money is going to stay within Watford? No chance. Absolutely no chance. In the same way that Udinese's money has been used to benefit Watford, Granada's money has been used to benefit Watford. If Watford go up, yeah, they'll benefit, they'll get a few decent players in, but so will Granada. Watford will start signing players and giving them to Granada. That's what will happen. So what? What? Uh, imagine what Giancarlo Pozzo has done is he's been asked difficult questions from Udinese, the equivalent of Udinese reporters to himself, and they're saying, "Wait a minute, what's going on here? What's going on with Angela?" He said this, and he's probably saying what he needs to say 
to try and keep the United fans happy in the same way that the Granada people do the same. Because they probably know that if Watford go up this year, they're all going to benefit. Because those will become richer, Watford will become richer, Granada will become richer, all will become richer. So, two, two questions then, and there's, a, there's one more question that a lot of people have been raising. We're speaking here on, on Tuesday, the, the day after the transfer window. Slammed! <laughs> 11 o'clock last night. A lot of people are, despite presumably having an understanding of the way the, the Pozzo model works and, and the way it works with Granada and Yazi, still, a lot, some people just seem to think they haven't spent any money on Watford. <laughs> oh, God. And get upset that the, the players are coming from within that stable. So, two questions to, to, for everyone, and this is what we need to work, up, work out. Are we happy with those sort of transfers still coming into Watford, i.e., on the surface of it, no, no, no fees being paid and coming from largely within the network? And B, the larger, the larger question is, are we happy to put up with the stuff that's happening on the periphery that ordinarily we might not ordinarily have had to deal with? The, you know, a bit, the, the extra flotsam and jetsam, if you like. Is that worth putting up with to get Watford into the Premier League? Yeah, I, sorry, I say yeah. positive. Take the ball yeah, by the off. Of course it is. So what we could do, we could spend four and a half million pounds on a Nathan Ellington and see if we can get us into the Premier League.
corner transfer rumours in the summer. You know, there's a guy that everybody, including Troy Deeney and everybody around this table and everybody listening to his podcast, thought was going to be playing in the Premier League. Almost as good a deal that was given to you and uh, Frank to appear on the podcast. <laughs> oh, well, I didn't want to bring that up. Nor did I. That's yeah. why I'm drinking water and you're on uh, something that's brightly coloured. So, <laughs> final, final word to you then, and as the resolution is that we accept that the Pozzo regime, the resolution, the revolution is perhaps not without its imperfections, but there's absolutely no doubt that as Watford supporters and people with Watford at heart, we continue to support it and support it 100%. Yeah, I think the, the good thing is they are slowly learning. That, you know, they're, 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 they're not making some the mistakes this year that they were making last year, and they're not making the mistakes last year that they were making the year before. Um, and I think that long term, I think we're going to upset a lot of people. I think if Watford get promoted this year, there'll be a lot of questions from national media, other clubs. It's not people aren't going to like it. But if you want to compete, stay financially stable, not risk a club's future, Watford. Udinese, Granada, Sapozos have found a way where they can compete at the highest level in the championship without putting the club's future at risk. Now, there aren't many clubs that are doing that. You know, the year, you know, year QPR got relegated, they spent £88 million on their wage bill, more than Dortmund spent on the year they finished second. And when QPR got relegated, they spent massive sums again to get back up. And that's the sort of money that teams are paying Cardiff, QPR, Newcastle, you know, all these teams that have gone up in recent years, they spend massive money. And Watford were not in a position where they can compete. Pozos have found a way where they can compete without putting the club future risk, which is going to upset people. But for me, I'll take upsetting people over a club potentially going bust. So there aren't many high-level meetings that will end with this sort of summary. But to summarise what Frank just said there, I think the motion is buckle up and enjoy the ride. Motion passed? Motion passed. Very much. We're the Orms, you're the Orms. Come on, you Orms! It falls to me, the least responsible of all the Watford fans in all the land, to sum up the key points of the first railway arms agreement. First, the manager. Is he the right man? We had consensus. Yes, he is. Give him time. Secondly, is the squad correct? The consensus was, yes, with a few minor changes and a bit more presence we're asking for, a bit more leadership. Uh, we need that to be evident on the pitch if we're going to succeed this season. And finally, the overall Pozzo regime has had its ups and some minor downs. Are those peripheral issues, those small problems worth putting up with? The agreement is very much yes. Support the Pozzos, it's not always going to be easy. It never is being a Watford fan, but it's now our job to fully get behind them and enjoy it and continue to support it. So those three resolutions have been passed. If Watford would implement them, promotion will be secured. Guaranteed. Uh, we've got another month for the next uh, Fond Reckon podcast. Watford have got a lot of Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. Six games in a month. Um, we've, got, uh, we've got Blackburn, Brentford, Norwich, Leeds. Someone else I can't remember. Rotherham. Rotherham. How's this month going to go, Michael? 
I'm really excited about this month because it's basically make or break. Um, as I said earlier, I think the I hope that moment at the end of Bournemouth, where that little little spark between the supporters and the players is going to carry on throughout February, which is going to be a tough month. We've got some big away games, big home games. Like you said, the games come thick and fast. I thought Chelsea was going to be a turning point. I thought we we sort of, as Dave said earlier on, we, we performed well there, didn't get the result, but did well. I thought that was going to be the turning point. Then came Huddersfield. Um, since then, we've had great results followed by a, a dicky one this is the last corner I think this is the last chance we've got to turn the corner I think we're going to do it I think these players want to deliver for Watford I think the fans are stepping up a bit they're more noisy There's, it's starting to get more exciting as we get towards the business end absolutely can't wait it's what being a football sport is all about I think it's going to be um, oh, it's going to be a good fun one more than the other. Uh, Frank uh, automatic promotion or is it going to be playoffs or neither I still fancy automatic Good man. I wouldn't be, <laughs> would be surprised if Watford didn't win their next six. Yeah. Check the uh, comment section of the Watford after six games just to see. I wouldn't be surprised. Equally, I wouldn't be surprised if they lost four of those. But I think, like you say, hopefully Bournemouth will be used as a catalyst. They'll use it as motivation. There's the quality in that squad, the level of opposition that they've got in the next six games. They're all beatable. It sounds a lot winning the next six games but they're all beatable anyway and you get a little run going I wouldn't be surprised if this team didn't win the next six you, win, you, you get 18 points in the next six and you're probably in the top two laughing Dave automatic playoffs or neither it's playoffs for me I'm afraid I, don't, I think automatic is just a little bit beyond that so if we get those players in and we get them in when the loan window opens this team is capable of doing a seven out of seven wins out of eight or a six in a row or whatever you want the team is capable and putting together the run of results they get what they want to get to automatic promotion will they do it? I think automatic is going to be like the playoffs were last season I think it's always going to be there five or six points away and just in touching distance if we could only beat X, Y and Z and so, so, so I think it's just going to be beyond us but the playoffs absolutely definitely what will be in the top six no doubt about it it's good enough to be in the top six once you get to the playoffs it's up for grabs I still think they can get promoted but I think through the playoffs is more likely Jace, your thoughts? First thing I want to say is if we can get this pumped into the Bournemouth dressing room, we've trolled them enough that I think we've just preliminary. Um, yeah, put them on a, on a negative slide and we'll catch them. Playoffs for me, I just think there's, there's three strong sides up there. Derby, it was such a big ask to, to catch them. But yeah, I think we, we are good enough and strong enough to make the playoffs. Thank you very much, Dave, for uh, taking part. No problem. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you, uh, Frank. Thank you very much. Your private jets back to Geneva are waiting. <laughs> we'll be back uh, in another month for another podcast. Uh, the season is coming to an end, but there's still 19 games to go. The Railway Arms Agreement has been signed. It is now. What you've got to do now, Watford, is put it into action.